Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. If you, could, if you would, again, just join me in the book of Romans, chapter 7. We're looking at the last half of the chapter, last half of chapter 7 this morning. Last Sunday, we looked at verses 1 through 13, and we examined this analogy that Paul uses to explain this new condition that we have in grace. Because the gospel, we've been working with this this understanding that the gospel changes everything, right? The gospel changes what? Everything. Look at the person next to you or behind you or in front of you or whatever, and look at them and say, you know what? The gospel changes everything. All right, it changes everything. And, and this is the challenge that we have to, think, that we have to ha- uh, take in our hearts is it does, a real, it, it does really good for our spirits sometimes to sit back and just take assessment of just how much the gospel has changed everything for you. Because it's more than a mantra. It's more than a phrase. It is the truth of God's word. The gospel changes everything. And the gospel has the power to change the world. The Bible says that the apostles took the gospel and they turned the world upside down for Christ. It's more than just a message, right? This faith that we have. It's more than just a hope. It's more than just something we do on Sundays. It's more than just a a name tag or an identification. I'm a Christian or a fish on the back of a car. The gospel changes everything because the gospel has raised us from death to life. Amen? That's who we worship. We worship this life-giving, life-altering, history-changing God. The section that we've been in in chapter 7 and the section specifically that we're going to be in today is really one of the more meaningful and pivotal uh, sections or passages of Scripture in this entire book of Romans. Um, it's also kind of controversial because over, uh, since Romans was written, people have struggled on how do I interpret what Paul is saying here. What is Paul really talking about? Is he talking about someone who is not saved? Or is he talking about someone who is saved but is struggling with sin? Uh, Historically, the Eastern Orthodox Church and uh, those in the eastern regions of our planet interpret this to mean that it's talking about someone who is unregenerate, as someone who is not saved and who is still struggling with sin and struggling with legalism and struggling with works to try to work their way to God. But the Western church, which is what uh, in America, the American church, the more modern view of Christianity has kind of followed what Augustine and Martin Luther and John Calvin have interpreted to say is that it is talking about someone who is regenerate, someone not degenerate, get that, who is regenerate, all right? Uh, Sometimes we can think that we're degenerate, but we're regenerate in Christ, all right? It's someone who is saved, but still is embroiled in a battle with sin and temptation and the old man. Because it doesn't take long to tell you that once we get saved, all things are made new and the gospel changes everything, but sin is still around and the sin ain't going to change. The law is still around and it's not going to change. The world is still broken and it's not changing a whole, whole lot either. All of that stuff still lingers out in in the margins. But what we understand is what has changed is you and me. In Jesus Christ, we have changed. But the way we relate to the world should change. The way we see things should change. And that's what this text is really talking about this morning. See, we have to understand that as believers, we have two eras in our life. All right? Because if the gospel changes everything, that means that we have a B.C. era of our life's history. Right? That's the before Christ era. 
That's our life before Jesus when we were born in sin and dead in our trespasses and sins and before the gospel and before we gave our lives to Christ. And we were held, as Paul said, in sin and in bondage and in slavery. And like we saw last week in this analogy of this horrible, toxic relationship without acceptance and without love and without grace. But then we also, if you know Christ as a follower of Jesus, you have this A.D. era. That's after death. That's after we died to sin, after we died to death, after we died to the old man and the new man came alive inside of us through Jesus Christ. And the A.D. era is new. The A.D. era has a new purpose. It has a new everything. And that's the passage that we're looking at this week. So let's take a look. If you remember last week when Paul used that analogy of marriage to describe what life was like before Jesus, he said that the life we lived was like a bad marriage to the law. This, like we stood at this mirror every day and almost said, you know, honey, how do I look? And the mirror just continually has this outline of what we should perfectly look like according to the law. And every day we realize just how much we don't measure up. And the law never told us how to get better. The law never supported us. The law never said, you are not perfect, but I accept you and I love you. But Jesus does. The law said, I know you are broken in sin and I will die to make you whole again. And as we know that we take those marriage vows till death do us part, the only way out of that relationship is death. To die to self, to die to sin, to die to all those things. And in verses 5 through 6, we saw that in Christ, we're dead to the sin and raised to new life in him. And not only are we raised to new life in him, we are broken from that old relationship with the law and with sin. And we are now entered into a new relationship with Jesus Christ where we are his bride, he is our groom, and he loves us perfectly. Not only does he love us perfectly, he loves us in a way which brings us to new life. He accepts us broken as we are. Now understand this about Jesus. He accepts us broken as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. See, it's tempting sometimes to take grace and say, well, Jesus paid it all and I don't owe him nothing and here I am and you better love me the way I am. And we just go back and embrace all the sin and say, well, I've just got my head get out of hell free card. That's not what the love of Jesus compels us to. The love of Jesus is so pure and so beautiful that it should motivate us to want to be more like him, should motivate us to be formed into his image. It's almost kind of like this fairy tale. It's like I was in this horrible relationship, but then the hero stepped in with true love. It's definitely a Hallmark story, right? It's not Lifetime, right? It's almost like this fairy tale that gives us this, you know, the, the magic prince just stood in and rescued me from all of my sadness, and now I'm going to live happily ever after, but is it really a happily ever after. So let's look at verse number, number 14 of Romans chapter 7, because Paul's going to describe his relationship with Jesus Christ, like his personal relationship with Christ, probably more than anywhere else he does in scripture, and it's really transparent. So let's look at verse number 14. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, right? But I am of the flesh. I'm sold as a slave to sin. Wait a minute, you're supposed to say, hold on, wait a minute. This is after Christ, so this is after death, so why are you still talking about slavery? He's talking about his old habits. For I do not understand what I'm doing. Anybody ever feel that way when it comes to this Christian, this Christian thing? I have no idea what I'm doing. Because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but I have no ability to do it. You ever feel that way? For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, 
I'm no longer the one who does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law when I want to do what is good. Evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Man, it's pretty dark, isn't it? This is supposed to be the new relationship. This is, he's, everything's supposed to be happily ever after. He's like, what a wretched man that I am. But look at verse 25. It turns on a dime, right? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God. But with the flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. Holy Spirit, this morning I pray that you would speak to us. And I pray that you would guide us into truth and illuminate us to what we need to know. Or Jesus, there are sometimes when we can get into the word and we are fed so quickly and other things are harder to digest. I pray this morning that you would guide us and you would help us to receive this word today and understand what you are telling us through it. Thank you that you love us so completely and that you love us so relentlessly that even when we don't know how to be loved, you still love us. Help us to understand and to learn from this passage and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And the church said, amen. So, like we said, you, you look at that and you almost think, okay, I was in this bad relationship and now Jesus has saved me to a new relationship and he is perfect. You would think having someone to perfectly love us would make us just happier than ever. But Paul is saying, I have received this perfect love of Jesus Christ and now I'm a complete basket case and I'm a wreck. It's almost like he's got all this going on. How many of you like to read classic literature? Anybody like to read classic, the classics? I'm not talking like Harry Potter or, or something like that. I'm talking like the classics, like, like Robert Louis Stevenson, Dickens, you know, Shakespeare, all those people. Nobody, nobody, okay, well, this may be lost on you a little bit. Um, there's a classic book named Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, all right? You, they say that the, actually the, the definition of a classic book is a book that everybody's heard about, but nobody's ever actually read, but they act like they have because they want to look smart. This is the one that is worth reading because Stevenson who was actually a believer. He had a very positive and, and tes, uh, testimony of devout Christianity. He was inspired, he said, and he wrote this by the struggle, because he was inspired by the struggle that he saw in the life of Paul in Romans chapter 7. See, in the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll is this fine, upstanding citizen, and he's frustrated because it seems like inside of him there's this bad part and a good part. He felt like he's got two sides to him. There's this doctor that took the Hippocratic Oath and is willing to help anybody, but in the dark recesses of his mind, sometimes his patients got on his nerves. And sometimes he didn't imagine helping them, and he's thinking, man, if I didn't have this oath, I probably wouldn't reach out and help you. So what he does... He basically, he calls himself this incongruous compound of good and bad mixed together. And that's the way doctors talk, right? They talk an incongruous compound. What it basically means is I'm like this lump of crazy put together. I got two things battling back and forth. So Dr. Jekyll, being this chemist and someone who works with medicines, develops a potion that separates the two parts of himself and lets the good part work really well without any hindrance from the bad part, and the bad part is allowed to be free without any hindrance from the good part. The good part comes out by day, and that's Dr. Jekyll, and he's handling his patients and his clients, and he's doing all those things, and only the bad part comes out at night, and that's Mr. Hyde. So during the day, Dr. Jekyll is doing all the wonderful things, and at night, Mr. Hyde is out just feasting on all kinds of evil and wickedness. And the two exist in the same body, 
but they exist apart from one another and without restraining each other. The problem is, is that as Stevenson tells the story, was that the, the, part, the evil part of Dr. Jekyll was far more evil than he had ever imagined it to be. See, without the good holding and restraining the bad part of Dr. Jekyll, who Mr. Hyde was, Mr. Hyde went out and did all kinds of terrible things, things that Dr. Jekyll would have never imagined. He murdered. He destroyed. He ripped apart lives. He did all kinds of horrible things. And the city and the town were suffering because of the presence of Dr. Hyde. He was spiteful, angry, vengeful. He says this. He says, Mr. Hyde was tenfold more wicked than I ever thought he could be. And, and Lewis Stevenson, speaking through Dr. Jekyll, explains this. He says, I discovered through this process that man is not truly one, but two. It wasn't that I was a hypocrite, he said. Both sides of me were being completely sincere. I think that explains us a little bit at times, doesn't it? See, there's a side of us that wants to do good. And it's sincere. It's not, it's not being fake. But there's also the side of us that wants to be bad. And it's sincere. It's not being fake. Because we have now, because we're children of God, we have these two natures within inside of us. The Bible says that the spirit comes alive and we're set. And, 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 and the, the evil, the wicked, the, the part that was enslaved to sin is now dead. And the righteous now lives inside of us. But the dead still tries to raise its head sometimes too. See, there's part of us that wants to do the right thing. And the other part that says, man, I just want to do whatever my flesh wants to do. And this is what Paul is talking about in our text this morning. He says this. He's basically saying, I've switched to the AD portion of my life. I'm no longer Saul of Tarsus. I'm now Paul, the apostle, the missionary. But I still have this BC past come back to haunt me a lot of times. He lies awake at night sometimes thinking about what he has done in the past. Later on, he would talk about that. He says, I've come to, I've come to seek and to save sinners, but I'm the chief of those sinners. He never forgot the pit that he came out of. And sometimes remembering the darkness of the pit haunted his soul and affected him to the point where he had trouble believing that he was truly saved sometimes. You see, Paul is having this, this struggle that the, the, the ghosts of the BC past kind of tend to haunt him sometimes. This is something that we can all relate to. I don't know about you, but I can definitely relate to. See, once we're redeemed, everything's new. Because why? Because the gospel changes everything. But, but sin will still lurk out in the margins. Sin is still there. It doesn't mean that once we get saved, all of our temptations go away. Sometimes we hear stories of folks who were saved out of addiction and they never picked up, they never picked up their vice again. Like God gave them instant deliverance from that. But we hear more stories of those who, once they come to Christ, they find their struggles with addiction don't go away. Matter of fact, they become harder. And it leads them to think sometimes, did I truly trust Christ? Is Jesus truly as strong as he says he's? Yes, he is. But sin still lurks out on the margins. The thing we have to focus on is the relationship that we have with that is totally different. And here's the other thing. It's difficult sometimes when you're used to nothing but dysfunction and death to get used to the functional love of Jesus Christ and to live like you're loved. When you've lived so hated for so long, it's hard to just jump in and start, like turn on a dime and living like you're loved automatically. It's like getting out of that bad relationship. There's nothing good going on. You're so broken, you don't know that what Jesus is doing is good and what you're doing is good. 
So I want to consider a few things from this passage this morning. I want to consider two truths and three new perspectives that we have because of the grace of God that sets us free this morning. And, and I do want to be mindful of our time and I want to be quick with this. So number one, truth number one is that every believer, every believer who has ever lived and ever will live has a constant war waging inside. And that's why I titled this message. I went back and forth on what to title this message and the title is simply Winning the War Within. Because when we come to Christ, yes, we are brought into this relationship with the perfect lover of our souls. But once we, once we enter into this relationship with Christ, war begins with our old suitor. He declares war upon us and upon our spirit. And this war rages inside of us back and forth a lot of times. Look at verse number 23. There's this war raging inside of it. And Paul simply says it like right there in black, white, and red. But I see a different law in parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. He's like, yes, I'm with Jesus. I'm with him. But sometimes sin just kind of creeps its ugly head and it wages war inside of me and pulls me away, takes me prisoner, takes me captive back over to that other side of death. And let's look at the description of what this war looks like again. In verse number 14, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin. I don't understand what I'm doing, because I don't practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I want to do what I do not do, I agree the law is, that is good, so now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, and that is in my flesh, for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Man, that's a big tongue twister, isn't it? It's kind of hard to follow that. But every one of us can relate because this is the way we think in our minds. In my mind, there's this war. I know what I want to, I know what I should do. And here's the other thing. I know that I want to do it, but I still end up going back to that flesh. I still end up going back to what I wanted to do in my sin. He said, I want to do good, but I end up doing what I hate. And here's what he says. I have no clue what I'm doing. I don't understand what I'm doing here. Let me give you, let me give you something that, that, that is very important to understand when understanding the grace of Jesus Christ. Here's how you can know for sure that you're a true believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and someone that has been, that has been set into the grace of God, is when you're truly saved, your want to changes. Your do's may not always change, but your want-to-do's, they change. We're given, this, I, we're given this new heart and this new desire to please God. You see, before Christ, we don't really care about pleasing God. It's all about pleasing the flesh. It's all about pleasing me. It's all about just making my life better. But you see, when we truly come to know Jesus Christ, the Spirit comes to live inside of us, and now my want-to changes. You want to please the Christ who has given so much to redeem you. But you see, that old want-to is still there. It still exists because that old want-to still wants to drag you to death. And the two want-tos are going to be at war all the time. Here's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5. He said, the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. God is saying, I understand the struggle that you're going through. See, sometimes I get this idea because I've talked about this in my past, that I'm, I'm a perfectionist, and I'm like zeroed in, and I, I, sometimes I'm really tempted to live my life and my spirituality by checklists. Sometimes my view of God is this. God has this idea of what he wants me to be, and I let him down every single time that I don't meet it. I heard a song the other day on the radio. I've heard it a million times, but I'd never heard this line until this week. He said this. The song says this. I can't let you down. Because I was never able to hold you up. 
See, God doesn't need to be held up, so there's no way that we can let him down. God knows, what Galatians is telling us is that God knows the struggle is real. God knows that the struggle exists inside of us. God knows that this struggle is there. He knows that the war is taking place. That's why he gives us grace, and that's why he gives us mercy, and that's why the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to dwell within us, to comfort us and guide us and give us peace. Colossians, it says this. He describes it as two different cells in Colossians chapter 3. He says, don't lie to one another since you've put off the old self with its practices and don't put on the new, and, excuse me, and you have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Do you notice this? It doesn't say you have been renewed. He says you are being renewed. What that means is it's a progressive renewal. I'm instantaneously saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am instantaneously made right for heaven, but I am progressively sanctified and progressively formed to the image of Christ as I live. So that means the moment that I get saved, I haven't arrived at the image of Christ. That begins to be perfected in me. And get this, we're never going to arrive at that image while we're here on earth. We will only arrive at that perfect image when God makes us perfect in his glory. But he says this, until then I am being renewed in knowledge to the image of my creator. See, Christianity, a lot of times we live our life fearing the steps that we take back so much that we never embrace the steps that he is leading us forward. He says both of these selves are in us and even though in one sense one side is dead, that old self didn't lose any power or strength. You got two natures in you now. You got Dr. Jekyll and you got Mr. Hyde. And if you cater to that old nature, it's going to move in. It's going to ruin you because he's the same old vengeful predator that he always has been. But the beauty of this is I don't have to succumb to it now. I can embrace the steps that Jesus has taken me to renew myself in the image of Jesus. So the first truth is that we're in a war. We're in a war and that war is real. The second truth is that in Christ, we're on the side of victory now. I don't know about you. I've, I've never been in the military. But I think it would be hard for me to enlist in the military if I knew that the army was never going to win. If I knew that my unit was never going to win, it'd be hard for me to enlist in that. It really wouldn't. Maybe that's just a weird way for me to think. But if I knew that defeat was coming, it'd be hard for me to enlist. But knowing that victory is assured draws me in. This is what salvation does. This is what the gospel declares. The gospel declares that the victory is already assured. Jesus has conquered sin. He has conquered the grave. He has conquered death. And when we join with him, we are victors in him. We are in his victory. It's not a matter of if we win. It's when we win. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says it like this. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And even though we'll still wrestle and we'll still battle with the same sinful flesh, and even though the same law of God applies to us, setting that standard for righteousness. See, the law doesn't go away. It still tells us what holiness looks like. But now we look at it and think, man, in Jesus, I can be made holy. The greatest change of the gospel is that we've been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. We've entered into this relationship with Christ who is the lover of our souls, but also that we've been moved from the side of defeat and death the side of victory and life. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to get used to. It's the hardest thing to get used to. I'm a Bengals fan. I haven't talked about the Bengals a whole lot because they've been sad for a long time. But as a Bengals fan and 
pray for me even more as a Cubs fan. I'm used to being on the side of defeat. So today, the Bengals are going to play in the Super Bowl. And everybody's like, are you getting nervous? I'm like, it hadn't even hit me that they're playing today. Because I'm so used to the side of defeat. I've approached the last two games, the AFC Championship and the Divisional Playoffs. Like, I'm just glad they're there. This wave is going to crash eventually. I haven't fully accepted what it's like to live as a victor yet. You know what? They may not win tonight. But you know what? In Jesus, I'm saved. Victory is already assured. But a lot of times, I live like I still don't got the victory. I think like I still don't got the victory. I leave Jesus out of the equation so many times. So many times. When I'm, and that's when fear sets in. And that's when, that's, when, that's when anxiety sets in. And I leave Jesus out of the equation so many times. And it leaves me in knots. You see, we've seen that old hymn. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me, he bought me. With his redeeming blood, he loved me forever. I knew him, and all my love is due him. And he plunged me to victory beneath his cleansing flood. Catch that? It's victory in Jesus. There's nothing in that hymn that has anything to do with us. It's all what Jesus did and all what Jesus has done. And he plunged me to victory beneath his cleansing flood. See, even though we wrestle with sin, and even though we may still revert back to the old habits of the flesh, we're already victorious. We're already victorious because the moment that Jesus came out of the grave, just like we sang, sang about a little while ago, the moment he came out of the grave, victory was already granted to anyone and everyone who would believe. Anyone and everyone. God has already written the final chapter. We're just living towards it. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you're already in that final chapter and you're already victorious in it as well. But here's what Paul did. Paul was struggling with that victory. Even Paul, the missionary, the, the, the guy that wrote 75% of the New Testament struggled with this notion too. So guess what? If you're struggling with that, you're in good company because you're in company with the Apostle Paul as well. See, all our sin, past, present, and future, has been plunged beneath that flood of grace. All of our sin. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die with the hopes that, man, if I come and do this, and if I bleed, and if I die for them, they'll stop dishonoring God. He knew that we'd keep doing it, and he still came. That's love. That's grace. That's mercy. He did it because the war could not be won without him. And that's the thing about, and we're only going to do the two truths today. We'll get into the three perspectives next week. I knew we weren't getting there, but hope sprung eternal, right? <laughs> Jesus, when he hung on that, it, it, it staggers me to think that Jesus, when he hung on that cross... He was dying for all the sins that I would ever commit B.C. before him. But when he died on the cross, he was also dying for all the sins I would ever commit in him too. Man, that's grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. Because he knows us so well to know. Because nobody's going to look at Paul and see this inner struggle with him. And what he's basically saying is, Look, I'm supposed to be Paul. I'm supposed to be this preacher. But I'm a dirty, rotten sinner still. 
There are times that I'll get up and I'll preach the gospel and I'll leave. And before I've even gotten out of the meeting, I've already had a bad thought. I can relate a lot to this with Paul because sometimes I'll stand up on Sunday morning and I'll preach the word. Man, I believe everything I'm saying. And then I'll get down. And Satan begins to read his head. You remember when you did that? Or Monday morning? I'll find that what I just preached about, I fail miserably at on Monday. And I'm like, why is it that I want to do it? It's not that I'm lying in the pulpit. It's not that when you counsel someone or when you're Facebook posting about faith in Jesus and then you turn around and you are the most faithless person you can think of the next moment doesn't mean that you're not real. It means that the struggle is real. Nobody would look at the Apostle Paul and say he wasn't a real Christian. Nobody looks at Paul and is like, man, what a jerk he is. He was struggling with sin. No, we understand it. So I guess the, the biggest point of this message this morning is to understand that the victory has already been won in Jesus Christ. Here's the truth. Is it a battle? Yes, it's a battle. Is it a battle that we can win? No, it's not a battle that we can win. It's a battle that's already won. Because Jesus has already won the battle. So what do I do with this? Because it's easy to look at it and say, well... If God's already covered my sin and all this stuff, let me just go ahead and let myself off the hook every time I stub my toe. No, because that want to still lets you know I'm not right. You see this inner wrestling that Paul is doing. Man, I want to do right. Why is it so easy for me to not to? You know, I don't want to do wrong, but why is it that it's so hard for me to do right? He's wrestling back and forth and back and forth. Let me give you these three perspectives really fast and I'll preach them next Sunday. Okay, But number one, perspective number one, because I have the victory, perspective number one is that my sinful tendencies are not the real me anymore. Because we have the victory, we have to understand that our sinful tendencies, that struggle, that inner struggle, that's not the real us. That's not you anymore. It was you, but it's not you anymore. The next thing is that because of victory, perspective number two, I have confidence even when I feel the most defeated. I can have confidence even when I feel the most defeated. And spoiler alert for next week, that confidence isn't in us. That confidence is in Jesus. There are moments when you're going to let God, feel like you've let God down. But the thing is, you were never asked to hold him up. So you can't let him down. Stop putting that pressure on yourself. I can have confidence in him when I feel the most defeated. And then number three, the third perspective is this, that God is using this struggle in me to make me appreciate his grace even more. God is using that struggle in me to make me appreciate his grace even more. See, it's easy to look at all this and say, you know what, if the battle is real and if victory's already been won, why does God still let me struggle? Why doesn't he, once he saves us, why doesn't he just allow for sin to not tempt us and allow for all those things to happen. Why do you think that is? It's because each time we sin in him and we find his grace makes us come to appreciate it even more. It also hopefully helps us to see others who are struggling, others who are not saved yet living in that BC life to not forget what it was like. You see, one of the beautiful things, one of, one of the things that can help us the most is to never forget the pit from which we have been drawn. 
Paul didn't forget that. Later on in, later on in, in Scripture, he's going to say, I'm still a wretched sinner, man. He's like, I'm a wretched man. Later on that we're going to see here in our text. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And the answer comes, thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't deliver myself. I can't work myself out of it. You couldn't work yourself out of sin and you're not going to work yourself to righteousness. There's just no way. So the Christian life begins with accepting the grace of God and the Christian life continues and grows and becomes sweeter the more and more that we accept his grace. It's not about the fact, and I'm going to talk about this next week, but I want to end with this. And we can go ahead and, Kevin, we can go ahead and get ready for invitation. John Newton, the one who wrote the song Amazing Grace, when he was 83 years old, he wrote in his journal. He said, a lot of people think that Christianity is about getting to the place where you don't need grace anymore. A lot of us would like to think, man, I'd like to be so good, I'd like to be so righteous that God doesn't have to offer me forgiveness anymore because I have nothing to be forgiven for. But he said what he's found in his life is that Christianity for him, his spiritual growth never, it didn't get to the point where he didn't need grace. It was his spiritual growth was seen and he grew in his awareness of his need for grace every moment. That's when we've been saved and we've been humbled and we have the proper perspective. So every day we live our lives, we should become more and more and more aware of our need for Christ. Not of our lack of need for him. As we are conformed to his image, we become more aware of how much we need to look at him if we're going to be conformed to his image. For me, and I'm just, let me just break it down real, real hard. What I'm finding through this study in the book of Romans, and I felt, I felt this a few years back, we went through the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, is I'm learning to see my Savior in a completely new way. Not that I was wrong in the past, but that I was just looking at it and thinking it took a whole lot more Derek than it really does. It takes more Jesus. Just like John the Baptist said. He must increase and I must decrease. And I'm still trying to learn what it means to be free in the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for his salvation, but every day I become more and more thankful for the fact that he is conforming me. He's conforming you and me and his children to his image. And the thing is, I know that tomorrow's coming and I know I'm probably going to mess up. And I'm going to go right back to thinking like Paul did. How wretched can I be? That's when the enemy wants us to begin to think how wretched can, and stay in that moment where we think, man, how wretched am I instead of thinking how great is he? You know what? Probably tonight I'll probably mess up because I'm going to get frustrated at that game. And I may say things or think things that I shouldn't think. I may want players on the Rams to get injured, and that's not good. That's supposed to be a joke. I really don't want them to get injured. There's that inner struggle, that Dr. Jekyll, that Mr. Hyde that we all face sometimes. And sometimes we become judge, jury, and executioner over the people when their Mr. Hyde starts showing a lot more than their Dr. Jekyll too, don't we? See, those of us who have received grace should be willing to give grace as well. I think that's why God still allows for the struggle. Because as his church, as his lighthouse, it's a whole world of people who have no option for Dr. Jekyll. 
They're stuck in, in, de in dead in trespasses and sins. And what the world needs to see is the grace of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness, the goodness of God, who sets us free in him. So we bow our head and as we close our eyes this morning, I just want to ask you a question. It's the same question I ask every single week. Do you know for sure that Jesus is your Savior? If you don't know for sure that he is your Savior, what's stopping you from coming to him? Here's what the word says. Here's what the gospel declares. We've been talking about this. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. It's a buzzword sometimes in church. But God forbid we would say this word without people, with people walking out not knowing what it is. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are sinners. You and I are dead in our trespasses and sins. You may not feel dead right now, but the Bible says that spiritually we are dead. And there is no hope for us outside of Jesus Christ. And because God loved us so much, he gave his only son to die on the cross of Calvary. And that when he shed his blood, that paid for our sins. That paid the debt for all the sins we ever commit before, after, past, present, and future. But not only did he die for our sins, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he just borrowed a grave. And three days later, he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, to give us eternal life. And he says this, all we have to do to have this gift of salvation is that we must put our faith and trust in him, repent of our sins. Just like Paul said, I don't want to do this stuff. But man, the power of sin is strong. But here's the beauty of the gospel. The power of our Savior is stronger. If you've not placed your trust in him, today is the day. Call out to him. Say, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I put my faith and my trust in you. I can't do it. I'm tired of fighting the fight. I can't make myself good. I can't climb my way to heaven. You have to take me. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. I repent of my sins and I trust you to be my savior. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, that is the prayer of salvation. I place my faith and trust in you. To follow you. To enter into that relationship with you. For you to be my God. For me to be your child. If you don't know Christ, that's the prayer. If you, if you need to talk to somebody today, or if you're watching virtually this morning and you need, you need counsel, please let us know. Reach out on the comment section or send us an email at gracewaylex at gmail.com. That's why we exist. We exist so people can know the grace of Jesus, that there is a way of grace. Don't let this moment and this opportunity pass. Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, deal with our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand. Thank you for listening today. At Grace Way, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.